the first king of Scotland, and I say king in quotation marks because this word eventually starts to be used, but we'll just for simplicity's sake, the first king of Scotland was from the Scots tribe and his name was Kenneth McAlpin. He united the Scots and the Picts. So there's still uh, two other tribes that we're not talking about, but these are two main tribes that are combining. And this begins the House of Alpine, uh, which lasts from 843 to 1034. And again, kingship, I say this term loosely because Scotland wasn't even really a thing yet but it didn't pass from father to son the way we think of it now. Instead, Kenneth adopted the practice of tennis, uh, tanistry, sorry, uh, in which the heir is voted on while the king is still alive. And these heirs often end up being brothers, son, nephews, a male relative of the current king, but it's different than what we're used to. I think I've talked about this, it might've been in the last episode, but what we're used to is primogeniture, which means the eldest son, inherits no matter what and he gets everything and that's not the way that the scots did it and this leads to a lot of problems later down the road but i think that in a practical sense especially in this time and in this place where it's very dangerous people are dying all the time it's easier to have people vote on something that way in case there is no like male heir directly available they can still pick the person who's most suited and then that way if you end up having an heir who honestly isn't fit to rule then at least you can pick somebody else so it's it practically makes sense but it ends up causing a lot of conflict and we'll get into that kenneth also set up a tradition of using what is called the stone of scone Uh, Also, the Stone of Destiny, which is used during the coronation of rulers of what will become Scotland. And it's used on at this time until onward. And they call it the Stone of Scone because it's in Scone, which is near Perth in modern day Scotland, from what I've looked up on maps. I haven't been yet, but I will let you know (laughs) as soon as I go. Constantine II, who ruled from 900 to 943 of the House of Alpine, uh, Kenneth was his grandfather, as far as I can tell, named the country that he was ruling Alba, which means mountain land in Gaelic. He later abdicated to become a monk, but from all sources seems to have been a relatively good ruler, so that's excited for him. The next person I wanted to talk about was Duncan I. So he ruled a little bit later, he's 1034 to 1040 uh, AD, and he was also the first king of the Dunkled dynasty. So D-U-N-K-E-L-D dynasty. Also, I'm going to pronounce these words in American English. While I could try to delight you with my Scottish accent, I, it's... (laughs) The basis of it is, I don't know if you've ever watched the Robin Williams stand-up, uh, stand-up little skit where he talks about the invention of golf. If you haven't, pause this right now, look it up on YouTube. Hilarious, the funniest thing, one of the funniest things, but (laughs) 
I just, I don't have a great Scottish accent and I don't want to put you through that and I don't want to put myself through that. So anyways, uh, Duncan I was the grandson of the previous ruler, but he ended up having a different last name, female in there somewhere, you know the drill. So this is technically the start of a new dynasty. Duncan tried to have the throne passed directly to his sons, but his cousin claimed that he was actually the true heir because of tanistry. So Duncan's trying to say, uh, you know, I kind of like the primogeniture thing that's been going on. Can we go with that instead? And a battle happens. His cousin ends up winning, who becomes the next king. And any guesses on who that king would be? Double, double, toil and trouble. The next ruler of Scotland was Macbeth from 1040 to 1057 AD. By the way, I always thought that line was bubble, bubble, toil and trouble, because I'm always picturing three witches standing around a cauldron and it's bubbling. And so that's, I just, that's what I always thought the line was. I don't know, Shakespeare's not my thing. Uh, there's a few select sonnets that I can do, but I, I just can't. Anyways, so, <laughs> The reason many of us know Macbeth is due to Shakespeare's tragedy. When I think of the rulers of Scotland that I know about, I think he, Macbeth is in the top three, which is kind of crazy when you consider he ruled in like 1040. That's not really something like, I don't know who's ruling England in 1040. Uh, but Shakespeare's tragedy was written in the early 1600s. However, the play isn't exactly historically accurate. Macbeth was actually a pretty successful ruler. He defended Alba against, that's what it's still going by, by the way, against Edward the Confessor of England's uh, troops as they tried to conquer the area. However, eventually Macbeth did die in battle and soon Duncan's son took the throne, resulting in the house of Canemore, which ruled Scotland until 1230, sorry, 1290. That was just my dyslexia refusing to read that number. There you go. David I of Scotland ruled from 1124 to 1153. He was the youngest son of Malcolm III and Margaret of Wessex, who is also known as Saint Margaret of Scotland. David spent time when he was young in the court of Henry I of England, and after his brother died, he decided that he should be king, and Henry I backed him. After Henry I's death, uh, death David backed Henry's daughter, Matilda, even though her cousin Stephen had seen the throne. It's the anarchy. Oh, we just can't get away from this time, can we? I, again, I think that anarchy is fascinating and I'm sure you've heard me say it 15 million times, but Ken Follick's Pillars of the Earth, read it, you won't regret it. Anyways, David fought with Stephen and was able to gain land for Scotland since Stephen was dealing with other anarchy-related issues. So he was able to gain a lot of land for Scotland from England, which was awesome. And David is recognized as a saint in the Catholic Church, and his feast day is May 24th, which, if you are listening in real time, again, coming up, so exciting, celebrate as you see fit. I was... I was looking it up and in some places it said that he was nominated for sainthood but was never actually canonized the way his mom was. I can't say definitively one way or the other, but he also, fun fact, minted the first 
Scottish coins. And if you can hear that ambulance going by, I am very sorry. My that was loud. I'm not gonna cut it out. I live like right on a pretty busy street and my office is literally facing the street. So there you go. But again, he minted the first Scottish coins. So we have minted money. Exciting. Alexander III of Scotland began his rule in 1249, and he began his rule at only seven years old. Alexander's early reign was basically people helping him rule, and by helping him rule, I mean it was a bunch of guys who sat Alexander in a chair in the corner where they argued over power and were very self-serving and trying to do things for themselves. This is also a thing that we're going to get into. Uh, Alexander married an English princess, this happens a lot, and her dad, Henry III of England, demanded his son-in-law now pay homage to him. Basically, he wanted to be in charge of Scotland by being in charge of Alexander. Despite the fact that Alexander is literally 10 when this is happening, he refuses to comply. Which, I don't know if you've met a lot of 10-year-olds, but I don't think that, like, person, <laughs> I don't think that, uh, like, if I left them in, in a room with a marshmallow and told them not to eat it, I'm going to say 50-50 chance that marshmallow is still there when I come back. So the fact that Alexander was like, no, I'm, you're not in charge of me, that's pretty impressive for a 10-year-old. Of course, this is a medieval 10, which is, I don't know, the equivalent of like a modern day 17, 18, I don't even know, but still very impressive. Now, when Alexander turned 21, one of the first things he did was gain the Isle of Man and the Western Isles from Norway by basically, I when I was reading the details of this bat battle, I thought it was really funny. So the Norwegian king sailed to him on these islands and Alexander just delayed the battle until the weather was in his favor favor and then when the norwegian king running out of supplies had to sail back he ended up dying on the way home and then the norwegian ruler who inherited didn't want to deal with it and was like all right you can have it so excellent excellent strategy from alexander i will try to incorporate that in my life somehow alexander and his wife had three children but uh she died and she and all of his children ended up dying uh, before uh, he was able to leave any of them the throne, leaving Alexander with only a granddaughter, Margaret, as heir. She was living in Norway at the time. There was a lot of intermarriage and various children being sent to from one court uh, to the other. And so it's not as weird as it seems, even though they were just fighting before a lot of times when they made an agreement like this. And it's like, oh, by the way, my son will marry your daughter, or whatever, and we'll just set that up. So he knows that this granddaughter is probably going to be his heir. So he's like, okay, I have to marry again in hopes of producing another. Now, apparently, at this time, uh, when travel took a really long time to happen, Alexander, even though he had a lot of patience with the weather thing, was like, you know, I don't have patience for Trather. I'd rather just drive the night instead of stopping at a hotel or at a friendly noble's house. I'm sure we all have friends that are that type of person too. Like, oh no, let's just drive through the night and we'll get there sooner. So Alexander, uh, after his recent marriage, he's traveling from Edinburgh to Fief, I believe to see his new wife. 
and he gets separated from his travel party and he's found dead the next day. It's assumed that he fell off, he and his horse fell off a rocky cliff edge uh, and his new wife was pregnant, but soon uh, that pregnancy ended in miscarriage and Margaret of Norway, she's some kind, sometimes called the maid of Norway as well because she was very young, on her way traveling back to Scotland from Norway, she ended up dying, which was the end of this ruling family. After Margaret's death, no less than 13 people claimed the Scottish throne. I'm sure you can imagine chaos ensued. When there's a power vacuum, nothing good ever comes of it. So one man in particular went to England and was like, hey, help me get the throne. This guy's name was John Balliol, B-A-L-L-I-O-L. He ruled from 1292 to 1296. And he was able to gain control of Scotland with the help of Edward I of England. But no surprise here, after England did that for him, he was like, hey, now you're gonna do some stuff for me. Uh, Edward wanted John to help him out when he decided to fight against France, something that English kings are very prone to do. I, they can't go a generation or two at this time without fighting with France or someone. So John, in a move that my contrarian heart actually really relates to, said, no thanks, and signed a treaty with France instead. The best way to get me to do something is to ask me to do the opposite of what you want me to do, by the way. Uh, that's just, it's been a part of my personality for a while. I don't see it going anywhere soon. So, you know, my contrarian heart relates to this. Uh, this treaty with France called the Ald Alliance, A-U-L-D, would become important uh, because it's a big part of Scotland's international policy and a lot of the things we see playing out are part of this. However, Edward obviously not super happy about this and soon defeats John. After John is defeated, Edward I of England now rules Scotland directly and he took the Stone of Scone. Fun fact, the English decided to use it during their coronations and when, spoiler alert, the kingdoms of Scotland and England have the same ruler. They have the same one now, but that's not going to be the same thing for a while and then it's going to happen again. Uh, it stayed in England and it was used from that time all the way up until now. In fact, it was used at the coronation of the current Queen Elizabeth II of Great Britain. I thought that that was actually really cool. So this is when William Wallace leads his rebellion. Uh, I have written freedom and I was gonna try to say it like, uh, like Mel Gibson does in the movie, but I, I can't do it. I, I simply cannot. For future me, who if someday I decide to go back and listen to this episode, this is my gift to you. You're welcome. Anyways, he wins a battle and is offered the kingship of Scotland. So William Wallace was basically, he was the son of a knight. Uh, he leads a rebellion against the English. He ends up winning this really important battle. He's offered kingship, but instead accepts the title of guardian but he ends up losing another battle to Edward and he goes into hiding, but eventually he is captured and put to death in London. Uh, this is all played out in the movie Braveheart starring Mel Gibson as William Wallace. 
I know that I've watched this movie and I remember key bits and parts to it, but I think like the, the general framework is mildly accurate. A lot of the things that they put in the middle, I would say heavily, <laughs> heavily fabricated, but this is where that story comes from. And I did think that that was really cool. So after this, Edward I appoints two guardians, and these guardians had a meeting, which resulted in one killing the other. The remaining guardian was declared king by his supporters. This leads us to our next king that we're going to cover, Robert the Bruce from 1306 to 1371. Now, I'm not sure why I'm so into Robert the Bruce. Maybe it's the underdog story. Maybe it's the Netflix movie Outlaw King in which he is played by a surprisingly rugged Chris Pine, Chris Pine. loved. Or maybe it's the fact that his name is just so freaking cool. Robert the Bruce. I mean, come on. That, if that doesn't scream Scotland, I don't know what does. But I, I was and still am seriously considering doing a whole series on him. I, in fact, have the outline started, but I realized that I was going to have to do a lot of background research on Scotland. And actually, this is all working out really well. And this actually will probably be happening sooner rather than later. But for now, sorry, I'm getting excited. Highlights. After the death of Edward I and a decisive victory against Edward II, his heir, Scotland was once again proclaimed independent with the declaration of Arbroath. A-R-B-R-O-A-T-H. By the way, the movie The Outlaw King, highly recommend. Florence Pa is in it. I love her. Again, surprisingly rugged Chris Prime. However, I'm going to say the disclaimer that this movie is definitely not suited for children. Not only for like violence and battle and things of that nature. And there's also apparently Netflix does not have the same censorship laws as other places do. Uh, kids, if you're listening to this episode in this current moment, please plug your ears for 10 seconds. We Netflix actually shows like his little Bruce for a second, if you know what I mean. And I just didn't know that that was allowed, but they did. Anyways. <laughs> Still a really good movie, really highly recommend. Except for if you're a kid, please do not watch. Bruce's son dies before he's able to inherit and Bruce's grandson takes the throne, beginning the House of Stuart. Uh, things start off okay for the Stuarts, but eventually a series of kings take the throne very young and the whole tanistry thing that no one could seem to let go of led to nobles who fought amongst themselves for power instead of for good, the good of the entire country. So who cares about what England's doing when I personally want to make sure that I have more goats or whatever it is that we're fighting over? Not exactly what's best for foreign policy, which leads to a very unstable situation going on in the country. Land was lost to England and and as the situation in the country became more and more unstable, there was a series of Scottish kings that came to the throne incredibly young. I'm going to go through a list of them right now. So James I inherited the throne at the age of 11, but was being held by the English at the time after his ship 
that was heading to France was captured by pirates. He eventually was ransomed and was later killed by his nobles who apparently didn't like his reforms. His life sounds just entirely too eventful for me. Anyways, his son James II inherited at the age of six. His son James III inherited at the age of nine. His son James IV inherited at the age of 15. Not bad. He actually married Margaret Tudor, sister of Henry VIII. When Henry attacked France, uh, Scotland being France's allies felt like they had to attack England, resulting in James IV's death. James V was 17 months old when he inherited. So James's mom had remarried a Douglas, and I haven't mentioned it up until this point, but the Douglases just seemed <laughs> Like, if there's a normal family that's causing trouble, it's almost always the Douglases for some reason. I don't know if that was just, like, the particular book I was going off of or what. But anyways, James's mom marries a Douglas. And this Douglas uh, decided to <laughs> imprison James V for a bit. But eventually, James V escaped, was able to say, no, I'm in charge, and exiled his stepdad. James then married a well-connected French widow, part in part because of that old alliance we talked about earlier. There was a lot of intermarriage between the French nobility and the Scottish. So right before his wife went into labor, James fell ill. He had recently suffered a battle, and a lot of people say that it was the stress of this or whatever else, but it seems that he just actually got sick. That's just like a little bit of drama that people like to add in. But before James died, he received news that he had a daughter, not a son that he was hoping for, and it was reported that he said, it came with the last and it will go with the last, basically implying that the Stuart house was over and he was referring to the fact that he inherited, his family inherited from Robert the Bruce through his daughter. So this person's however many great grandmother and basically that the house is now going to end because another woman was inheriting the throne. So Mary, James's daughter, inherited the throne at six days old. There was some fighting. I think they were trying to do the tanistry thing again. But nine months after she was born, she was crowned. Now, if you know me, you know that I love Elizabeth I. And... Mary, Queen of Scots, is a big part of that story. So Mary is on the list of people that I will be eventually covering, so I'm going to summarize this as best I can. So Mary, uh, like, is, like, Mary's not in charge. Like, she's a nine-month-old baby. Her mom's kind of helping, but basically a bunch of nobles and her father's illegitimate children, of which he had many, are ruling in her place. To keep her safe because the English kept trying to like, kidnap her and things of that nature, eventually she's sent to France and it's decided that she's going to marry the heir. While her mom stays behind to try to keep her daughter in control. I mean, ish. Like, how much control did Mary and her ever actually have? Doesn't matter, moving on. So Mary actually marries the Dauphin, which is the French name for their heir, and he dies soon after from an earache. Oh, what a time to be alive. Also, of all the painful things that I experienced as a child, 
I think earache like tops the list. I specifically have a memory of me sitting on the gym floor with like a cotton ball my mom had put something on and stuck in my ear. And I just remember I'm sitting on the gym floor in gym class. Like all I want to do is go home. I feel terrible. And like literally I'm like sitting crisscross applesauce. I think I was like in the third grade and like tears are streaming down my eyes because of how painful it was. Like this is a very distinct memory I have of my childhood. So uh, I know that that was a huge tangent, but I just think that dying of an earache has probably have to be like on my, like in my top five worst ways to go. I haven't thought this through a lot. So that list is up for debate, but that's what I'm going with for now. Anyways, so after Mary's husband dies, she returns to Scotland, you know, the place that she's technically queen of, even though she spent like practically none of her life there. Anyways, so she tries to do politics and marriage, but a series of various disasters leads her to being on the run after she gives birth to a son. She appeals to her cousin Elizabeth. Remember, her grandma and Elizabeth's dad were brother and sister. And please help me take back my throne. I please help me. And Elizabeth, assessing the situation, decides to imprison Mary instead because Mary had made the mistake of claiming that she should be the rightful queen of England too. Now what this stems from is Elizabeth was Protestant and Mary was Catholic. And so when Elizabeth was inheriting because was she illegitimate, Henry VIII did all of these really weird things. Basically Mary, because of that connection, the family connection tried to say, hey, no, I should be queen of England. And she was pushed to do this by her father-in-law, the current King of France. And that was a mistake because Elizabeth looked at Mary and was like, mm, I don't know what to do with you. And so my best, uh, my best course of action is to do nothing. And I'm going to imprison you for like, I want 20, 30 years. I can't remember the date off the top of my head. I talk about all of this in my coverage of Elizabeth. So if you want to go more, if you want to know more of this, you can go back and listen to that. Or again, Mary is on my list. Anyways, so Mary is dethroned by her nobles and her son, James VI, who ruled from 1567 to 1625. Of course, they're all James, but it's, it's kind of like the Ptolemies, but there's no sibling marriage, so never mind, it's still better. He gains the throne at the age of 13 months after his mom is again dethroned and imprisoned. James actually has the longest reign of any Scottish monarch, and during his reign, culture flourished. At this time, it's also Elizabeth's reign in England, and this is considered a golden age there as well. So on the whole, this is a really great time for, for uh, society. So despite the whole imprisoning and eventual putting to death of his mom thing, Elizabeth and James were actually on pretty decent terms. And I think James kind of saw the writing on the wall. So while he was like, you know, I had this mom that I never really even knew because she was imprisoned when I was super young. I'm not going to pick a fight with this woman because I think she's going to give me what I want. And that did happen. So after Elizabeth I dies, she de uh, like right as she was dying, she declared that James was her heir, resulting in James styling himself King of Great Britain and Ireland. And with that, the uh, monarchs of just Scotland came to an end. So my key 
takeaways from this series was if you're going to pick tanistry at the beginning, stick with tanistry. A lot of problems seem to stem from the fact that the king wanted to pick his heir instead of having the vote and then insert male relative here, decided that, uh, no, my like I wanna be the rightful heir and then chaos ensues. Also, it's hard to rule when you're only one digit old. I think that part of the reason that Scotland's rule, like part of the reason why Scotland's monarchy was so weak comparatively to the other monarchies in Europe at this time was because they simply kept inheriting very young and the other nobles, the other members of their family were taking advantage of this and were focusing on petty squabbles within Scotland instead of looking at the greater European like foreign policy as a whole. And so this actually became really like, just, it became a very big problem for them. And then my last takeaway, honestly, is that there's actually some rulers of Scotland that I'm very interested in covering. I think Scotland is interesting to me because I definitely, as I was growing up, gravitated more towards the rulers of England. I was super interested in Henry VIII and Elizabeth I and just so many people. And I know a lot about the English monarchy, but I knew less about the Scottish one. So this was really fun for me to do. And when I'm there later this year, again, dates to be determined. I can't wait to walk around and have a little bit more uh, understanding of what I'm looking at. And I'm sure that I will come up with some really cool episode ideas while I'm there as well. So thank you so much for listening. I'm so excited for uh, what's coming up. And again, uh, if you're listening to this in real time, wish me luck. All right, I'll talk to you guys soon.